You are listening to the Critical Mass Radio Show, Orange County's business talk show focused on exploring topics of interest to CEOs who are leading middle market companies with your host, Richard Franzi. And welcome to today's episode of Critical Mass Radio Show. I am your host, and boy, do we have a good show in store for you today. Today, I have two experts in the ESOP field with me in the studio, and our goal is to answer this question, why, when, and how do business owners choose the ESOP path as the correct succession strategy? This show is brought to you by our advertisers, Center Club, Community Bank, Decision Toolbox, Executives Unlimited, MBN Design, SNH Rubber, Strategic Market Intelligence, SunUp Group, T and Company, Tone Software, Turn Up the Volume, and UPS Protection. The goal for this show is to help you, our listening audience of CEOs who are running middle market firms, to improve your decision making skills. If you'd like to connect with me, I am on LinkedIn, Richard Rick Franzi, F R A N Z I. CEO Peer Groups is my Twitter handle. And on your favorite podcasting software, simply type in Critical Mass Radio Show, and you'll get our regular weekly updates of the program that we stream live here on octalkradio.net. As I said, I have two experts in the ESOP field. Martin Stabas, who is the Executive Director for Beister Institute, is in one chair. Martin, welcome to the show. Thanks very much, Rick. Thanks for having me. It's our pleasure. Keith Mulchin, who is First Vice President with Community Bank, a valued sponsor here at the program, is in the second chair. Keith, welcome to the show thank you for having me rick all I'm right guys forward to this. Let, let's get started with the three questions why when and how but before we start that martin can you talk to us a little bit by kind of setting context can you define the term esop what is it sure happy to do that esop esop it stands for employee stock ownership plan to really explain what it is it, uh, it, it'll take me two answers first okay. answer is the technical answer technically it's what they call a qualified retirement plan so there's a set of laws included in this body of law they call ERISA, and it authorizes a whole group of diff- different kinds of retirement pension plans, and ESOP is one of those. Right. I would think the people listening to our show, they're familiar with ERISA because of the 401K and right. the other retirement programs that they're, they may administer for their employees. Exactly. So structurally, in fact, it looks a lot like a 401K plan in the sense that every employee has their own personal account. So at this point... And I explain this, and I get a re- kind of a reaction. People are looking like, I thought the CSOP was really something, but it's just a retirement plan? Like the young people say today, so I'm not feeling you, Martin. Like, what, you know, what's the excitement about the ESOP? Right. Well, so let me give you the second answer, beside the technical answer. And that is, an ESOP is really something else. Forget the technical stuff. It's a, it's a way for an owner to sell their stock to their employees, selling their stock into a retirement plan. And there's some magic that goes on where the empl- where the the uh, owner sells their stock, gets paid full fair market value, and yet the employees don't pay a penny out of their pocket. And how that magic happens is what we'll talk about today. Wow, and that's Martin Stabas. He's executive director for Beister Institute with uh, UC San Diego. Exactly. Right. And uh, at the Rady School Rady's, of Management. Rady School of Management. We'll talk a little bit about the history of Beister if we have time later. Uh, Keith Malchin, who's first vice president for Community Bank, I wanted to kind of ask you this next question because we just heard that there's a liquidity event and a funding event that happens at the very beginning of an ESOP. What role does a bank like Community Bank play in that? Well, a, a banker should be a, a, an advisor to the to the owner of a company. He should be one of their trusted advisors. And my first message to to my clients and prospects is that you have to plan ahead for an exit strategy. Many times they don't like to approach that subject. It's the end of their good times, their company, and and and, it, and it's tough to get there. But just through experience, I've learned that if you don't plan out, you may be leaving some dollars on the table. Okay. Secondly, 
important. Secondly, what is important is good financial information. Again, if you don't have good financial information, you may be shorting yourself on the valuation of that company. So I am there to help coach them build a better financial structure and better financial reporting for their company. Okay. Um, your, your specific One of the specific roles that you play for Community Bank is kind of a thought leader in this. I know you write white papers. We, we're going to make that available later here on the radio show. But also, you, you're taking the responsibility as first vice president to, to really oversee, at least here in Orange County, if not Southern California, the effort the bank is making in the ESOP arena. That's that correct. correct. That's okay. correct. And so it's a new... It's a new um, tool for our, our, our tool chest at the bank. Okay. And we've made a, a concerted effort to, to go after this type of business in our marketplace. There's the, 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 the marketplace is really not being served right now okay. in, the, in the $1 to $100 million companies. All right. That's people and, listen to the show. And, the, and, and that is a, a perfect avenue for us to set ourselves apart from the, any competition that might be out there. So, so let's go back to the origin of the question. I'm talking with Keith, Keith Mulchan. He's first vice president of Community Bank. Martin Stabas is here as well, executive director for Beister Institute. When that decision is made and that first uh, transaction happens, the liquidity event for the for the owner, what role does the bank play in helping the company sort of fund the the, the purchase? How, how does that work? Well, at a high level, how that works is that we're looking to we, we need three things in this. We need we need we need cash flow. Cash flow is the key to any transaction. That's that's ESOP. Okay. Secondly, is collateral. In the in the stratus that we work in, collateral is important to the bank, um, but cash flow will will help a shortfall in collateral because you know cash flow will will help pay that back at a quicker pace. Right. And then lastly, management succession. We have to have a good management team to have the sustainable cash flow to repay both the exiting shareholder mm-hmm. and the bank. Is is it is it fair to say, Keith, that many times when a company decides to go through an ESOP plan that the bank is putting some money in to allow the owner to be kind of paid out of the stock that they're selling to the company? Most definitely. Okay. So that's part of what Community Bank would do? That's right. Yeah, I can add to that. I I talked about that magic of how the owner gets paid, and yet the employees aren't writing any checks out of their own pocket. And that's where Keith, uh, a good bank like Keith's bank, uh, will come into that, where they can actually f- finance a good deal of that by making a loan right. uh, to the ESOP. Uh, the com- the uh, banks look at it as effectively lending to the company. It's loaned right. on the company's credit, but there's there's where the money comes from, is from a bank loan, that, where that cash that's loaned ends up in the ESOP. The ESOP takes that money and uses it to write a check to Mr. Owner. Here's mm-hmm. your money. Uh, so that's what Keith is referring to in terms of their their credit analysis right. and what they're looking for to see if they're prepared to make that loan or not. So, so to have a bank like Community Bank that's mm-hmm. specifically focused in helping companies with this, because this is a little bit of a maybe not a foreign concept, but it's not something that a bank that a company would have done before that necessarily. Exactly. Where they go to a banker to get, you know give me money right. for myself and the company will pay right. you back. That's not a good business practice, generally speaking, sure, right. unless you're going through something like an ESOP, right? So, Correct. so there's a lot that they need to learn, and a bank that has experience. Well, that, and that's where I was sort of coming from. The lead up to that point, if you're going to go the ESOP route, those are keys to it being successful for you. Right. you got to have a well-run company. you got to have right? it. Right? you got to I mean, have it. I mean, we're going to do a series of shows throughout the year on different subject matters, helping co- business owners understand succession planning, because I believe we're facing into a, a pretty large changing of wealth in the future, right. where baby boomer business owners are ready to take a little easy, take some money out of the business. And this ESOP program is a great vehicle for doing that. Exactly. 
Exactly. Okay. We're talking with Martin Slabus. He is the, um, sorry, he's the director of the Beister Institute, and Keith Mulchan, who's the first vice president with Community Bank. We only have about uh, a minute left until we, we take our first commercial break, so all of the first 10 minutes is already gone, guys. Doesn't it go fast? So um, let's, let's just for a minute, from your perspective, uh, Martin, can you tell me in a minute the kind of companies that make good prospects for ESOPs, just in a general sense? Right. Um, industry-wide, it can be virtually anything. We see them all over, uh, as long as it's not an investment company with uh, very few employees and lots of assets. But if it's a regular operating company, it's going to be a great client. Uh, a company that uh, wants to cultivate employee engagement, wants their employees to uh, really care about how well they do, uh, has that orientation, is really just going to strengthen that by establishing an ESOP, because that's the other half of the ESOP is, the first half being an owner able to take the money off the table. The second half is the fact that now you've got employees who have a stake in this company and really are going to want it to succeed. So how do you tap that that motivation to build a stronger company than ever? So those are the companies when they're when both of those things are going. You have an owner who wants to pull some money out, and they also want to engage their employees. You've got a great fit. It, and it sounds like um, so emotionally on an emotional level. I really connected the idea that as a business owner, you you reward the many of the people that helped you get the company to the point in time where it is today by giving them back a piece of the company. In and what a great strategic owner, right? I would absolutely. think absolutely. What an engaged owner that would be. Yeah, that, exactly. Right? Absolutely. But it, it comes with the responsibility of really, I think, beginning to reframe how your employees think about the company and their relationship to it. It you just it's not like a, a light switch, right? No, no not no, at no. all. You got to make sure they understand what the heck is going on. But when they get it, one of the great things is you see that they begin to expect more of each other. Used to be if an employee is goofing off and pulling next door says, "Oh well, that's the boss's problem. I don't care if he's goofing off." Now it's the guy next door's problem, he said, and he won't stand for it. So they, they, they raise their game uh, because of peer pressure from each other. They owe it to each other. All right, we're going to take our first commercial break here on Critical Mass Radio Show. As I said, we have two experts, and it's clear from the first segment. Hopefully, if you're listening to us live on octalkradio.net or as a podcast on iTunes or one of the other ones, that I do, in fact, have two people who really know what they're talking about. When we come back, I'm going to, I'm going to delve a little bit into ESOPs as a succession strategy, and I'm going to ask Martin to tell us why a firm would choose to use ESOP as a succession strategy after these words from our commercial sponsors. If you are an Orange County CEO or a business owner, this message is for you. Do you ever feel isolated with no place to turn for advice or feedback? Who holds you accountable to your commitments in your company? Where do you find the right resources to help you and your company grow? If you have had these questions, then Critical Mass for Business might be the answer for you. Critical Mass for Business is committed to helping you make better decisions through the power of peer learning. These are groups of peers who are running businesses just like you. CEO Peer Groups provides a great sounding board to test fresh ideas and new concepts, review your strategic plans and tactical goals, and present issues and opportunities for a critical discussion. The result is improved strategy, accountability, and improved business results. If you are interested in learning more, go to www.criticalmassforbusiness.com and learn about our CEO Peer Groups. CEO Peer Groups is a registered trademark of Critical Mass for Business. Richard Franzi is the author of two popular business books for CEOs. His first book, Critical Mass, The Ten Explosive Powers of CEO Peer Groups, was the first book ever written on the secret value of CEO peer groups. His second book, now with newly updated information, is Critical Mass, 
The Power of CEO Guiding Principles. Richard's books contain powerful information to help CEOs running middle market companies gain valuable insight to improve their decision-making skills. Richard's books are available as paperbacks or Kindle versions from Amazon.com. To find them, type Richard Franzi in the search box. Successfully navigating the changing world of public relations and digital marketing requires an experienced, tenacious, yet gracious team. In business for more than 20 years, Orange County-based and Company delivers big agency results with personalized service. For more information, call us at 714-536-8407 or visit us online at tnco.me. Are you ready to tap into the power of social media to promote your business? It's easy to get social with Turn Up the Volume, the award-winning social media marketing professionals who know how to get results. Drive web traffic, boost sales, get social today. Visit www.turnupthevolume.com. That's turnupthevolume.com. Welcome back to Critical Mass Radio Show. I am your host, Rick Franzi. This is our special edition. This is our roundtable. One thing that we're going to be doing each month is a focused roundtable. This month here, we're doing it on ESOPs, and we're titling this one ESOP 101 with Keith Malchan, who is first vice president with Community Bank, and Martin Stabas, who's executive director with Beister. I'd like to thank and acknowledge our listeners who download our show as a podcast. You've downloaded and listened to over 17,000 episodes during the last 30 days. We here at the radio program appreciate your continued and growing support all of our shows can be heard anytime on itunes stitcher.com spreaker.com several hundred former guest websites whose ceo has been on our show and they've decided to place their interview on their company's website as well as other business oriented podcasting services all right martin before the break as i was going to ask you to start to answer this question why would an individual a ceo choose esop as a succession strategy Oh, Rick, I tell you, there's so many reasons why I would. Uh, let me just give you my top three. Um, the first is, uh, frankly, price. Uh, this is not something you do uh, at a sacrifice. Um, under the right conditions, you meet a few requirements, pretty easy to meet. You can actually sell your stock of your company, and you can uh, permanently avoid paying the capital gains taxes that come with that. So depending what state you're in, California, other places, you're, you're looking at a third of your proceeds disappearing to taxes these days. You sell to an ESOP, you can avoid that. And what that amounts to is that's a 50% premium over the ordinary fair market value. You're not going to find many people who are going to offer you 50% more than a business appraiser says your company's really worth on the market. Okay, so I have to interrupt you. Why is that legal? <laughs> it's legal because there's a provision of a tax code. Uh, Section 1042 of the tax code specifically provides for this. Uh, and it says that uh, you sell the stock. There's a wonderful arrangement where you've got 12 months to take your money, reinvest it in any other kinds of uh, stocks or bonds of any American operating companies, and they will treat it as though it was a non-taxable exchange of your stock for whatever you bought in its place. So you've paid no taxes. If you had a company you're going to sell $10 million worth of stock, you end up with $10 million. In order to end up with $10 million any other way, you'd have to sell it for $15 million, lose a third of it to taxes, then you've got your $10 million. Right. Sell it to your employees for $10 million, you're doing just as well. So that's one big driver. You're likely to get a better price than any other deal. Second reason I'd say uh, one of the great things an ESOP offers is the fact that you can sell any portion of the company. It's not an all-or-nothing deal. 
you go to almost any other potential buyer in the market, and they say, oh, your company's for sale. I'll buy it or I won't buy it. I don't want to buy 30% or 40% or whatever. Uh, sell me your company or don't. Right. With an ESOP, one of the tremendous things it brings to the table is that an ESOP will buy whatever you offer it. So we have a lot of owners who are in uh, this horns of a dilemma where they're reaching a certain age and they realize, hey, this business is 80% of my personal net worth. And I'm at an age where if suddenly something happened to it, heaven forbid, I'm in big trouble. I can't go back and recreate it. Mm -hmm. Uh, My financial advisor is saying I should sell the company, take that money off the table, and and reinvest it and secure things. I'll be set for life. And I can see what he's saying, but it's still my baby. I love my company. Don't really want to walk away from it. Hey, take a third, 40%, half the company. Take that money off the table. Sell it to the ESOP or it goes to your employees. Now you've got enough money that you're economically secure, and you continue to run the company. Right. So that's a tremendous advantage that you can sell a portion of a company. You continue to run the company, and you don't necessarily introduce anybody new into the company, like an outside buyer who has a voice and an opinion, right? You can still run the company with your employees the way you did up to that point. Exactly. You keep going. One of the beautiful things about an ESOP is that the stock goes into this retirement plan, but the stock is controlled not by the employees but by a trustee you appoint. So you don't have to worry that they're somehow going to take over or whatever. They truly do get every full, every last dollar of financial benefit. They're going to get that. They're going to benefit from this fin- thing financially. But uh, you don't have to worry that they're suddenly going to start telling you how to run the company. Well, Martin, any more? Uh, well, I guess the last thing would okay. be uh, the third. Of, I guess I, there's more. But my top three of the third would be the fact that uh, you keep your company intact. You sell it any other way, and then likely you're going to find some big strategic buyer, some big out-of-state operation. They're going to come in. They're going to pretty much shred up your company, lay off about 30 of your people, take the name off the door. The whole thing's got this baby that you've spent most of your life building up and creating. is basically kind of shredded up. Uh, with an ESOP, the whole thing stays intact. You give your employees the chance to run this thing. Uh, you can ultimately, when you want to, when you're ready, and if you want to, you can ultimately sell all the stock. Finally, you might sell it in increments. But, uh-huh. And now you've given your people, the company, the chance to run this thing completely, and it stays intact. It's probably got your name still on it. Everybody's still there. You've left a legacy. So the three things you said is, one, there's a serious tax advantage. Two, you can sell increments of the company. And three, you keep your company intact. Exactly. Well, those are powerful three, and there are more behind that, but we're, yeah. we're just going to stay at the top three. So, Keith, from your experience at Community Bank working with companies that are going through ESOPs, can, can you add from your direct experience other reasons why or th- observations that you've made? Well, I've seen where a principal will have real direct lo- um, loyalty to his employees and uh, may not have a family succession that, that he could put together for the, the operation of the business. And so he, he loves to just get out there and, and, and get the employees enthused and keep that company going, like you say, for a legacy. Mm-hmm. I've seen that. So the, so the loyalty to the, to the stakeholder that is the employee right. or any other stakeholder. Well, they say, hey, I got here because of them. Right. And, and, and I want to reward them now. Right. And I've so, seen that. And so I would think that the bank is very comfortable obviously, with that mentality, as well as these other reasons that Mark Martin had talked about for reasons why people come and want to use an ESOP as a succession plan. That's very important. Right. I would think from another perspective as an outside investor, at least from someone who now has risk, right? Right, because you put money into the business, right. you, you want your money back, that that type of uh, purchase, you, you still have all the same players. That's key. And as I said earlier about sustainable cash flow, right? that's an important part to keep that sustainable cash flow because the the selling principal has a stake in it, 
as well because most times when you put these together it's a 30 or a 50 percent buyout the first round okay so that's that's common from what you've seen They're, people aren't selling 100 percent of the business they're not, not selling very parts often. as martin was saying which not is an advantage often. of an esop okay so so the selling principal will have a note that he'll carry back on that mm. and so he's your partner in, in the deal right for time to come and and having him involved it does give you that comfort that uh, you're going to have that cash flow continue as it has in the past. Right, because I think it's risky at any time in a business when you make changes, right? You replace the founder with somebody else. I mean, there's just you lose a key executive, whatever. You have a new investor or buyer come in. So the least, the less you can reduce the risk, the more likely you are to have it be successful. Right. And it sounds like in the process that you guys have just talked about, you're not changing as many variables as you might using another succession strategy. Exactly. You can make the transition gradual, which is highly effective, rather than the owner going full tilt and then all of a sudden just drops everything and walks away and somebody's got to pick up the pieces. You have an owner who takes it on himself as kind of his mission to say, I want to phase this over. I'm going to sell a chunk to the employees, uh, start training them, mentor some top guys to be my successor. Over As they get ready and they can handle it, I'm going to step back, delegate more, step back. At some point, maybe I'll even step down as CEO and just be chairman of the board. And eventually, when I'm ready to sell the last piece, I'll sell the last piece and slip out the back door and nobody will even notice I'm gone. So, Martin, can, can the can the owner say, okay, I'm going to sell part of it now and I'm going to sell the balance around this time frame, but can they change, not change their mind, but can they move it in or move it out based Absolutely. on... Absolutely. So they're not formally required You're never locked to sell. in. Okay, okay. It's, a, it's always a plan written in pencil. Okay. So you have a plan. Uh, I often like to... I work with a lot of companies who like the idea of a program I put together called it just the five-year plan. So the deal is that an owner will sell half their company uh, up front, and then over a five-year period, they're doing two things. They're paying down the debt involved in financing that first purchase. Right. Uh, and the other thing they're doing is they're doing this mentoring process right. so that they're building up the skills of their successor. They've you know, identified somebody who's going to be pegged to take over the CEO. They do that transition gradually as they're ready. At the end of five years, the owner sells the other half of his company and, uh, as I say, walks out the back door and... These guys keep it going without a hiccup at all. Or they could stay on as chairman of the board. They, stay on right? they, they, they don't have to walk out the back door like goodbye forever, like they would if they sold it to a third party, right? They, there's exactly. probably still a role for them as an emeritus or in some uh, capacity. I'm sure that people would love to have them remain as an advisor, be on the board, uh, right. be a consultant, uh, whatever makes sense. It's very flexible. So we have about a minute left before the next break. So, Keith, in your experience, it, so five-year sounds really makes, it makes a lot of sense to me. That's kind of a good time horizon. Then does Community Bank come in the second time and say, okay, then you you fund that you loan for that second. That's purchase? correct. Okay, it, it's it's good for the bank. It's it's a it's a, a way for us to continue a a flow of putting new loans on the books. And if it's been a success for the first five years, you've got a great track record with the with the operation. So. Right. Right, so that that why that's why that banking relationship is so important, right? Because you want to, you 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 know, you're going to need them again, and you want exactly. all the parties on the. Okay, that makes a lot of sense. I'm glad you both are here. We have Keith Mulchin, who's first vice president with Community Bank, and Martin Stavos, who is the executive director for Beister Institute. We're going to take our second commercial break here. When we come back, we're going to talk about when, at what point in the firm's life. Does the business owner, or does it make sense for the business owner to look at ESOP as an exit strategy? So don't go anywhere, ladies and gentlemen. We're back to answer the question, when, after these words from our sponsors. Award-winning photographer David Moyle has more than 16 years of experience creating unique and riveting photography for his clients. Whether your business is an international corporation or a small business, David Moyle's photography can make you stand out. 
visit www.davidmoyle.com or call 714-272-2284. Are you ready to tap into the power of social media to promote your business? It's easy to get social with Turn Up the Volume, the award-winning social media marketing professionals who know how to get results. Drive web traffic, boost sales, get social today. Visit www.turnupthevolume.com. That's turnupthevolume.com. UPS Protection has been protecting systems in the U.S. against brownouts, blackouts, and poor quality power for over 25 years. We provide power protection systems, including UPS, lighting inverters, generators, and service for clients from coast to coast. We specialize in solving all your power needs. As a direct reseller of the best brands in the industry, including Liebert, Powerware, and APC, we can solve all your power protection needs. Protecting your power is our main goal. We offer on-site or depot repair of our critical equipment. To better serve your budget constraints, UPS Protection also offers both reconditioned and new products. And welcome back to this edition of Critical Mass Radio Show. I am your host, Rick Franzi, Martin Stabas, Executive Director with Vice President Student Keith Mulchin, First Vice President of Community Bank, are my guests. Our audience demographic is 98% business owners and executives who listen to learn from the experience and knowledge of our guests. If your firm is interested in reaching these top decision makers, then advertising on the radio show is the answer. Each month, our sponsors gain valuable exposure through their support of our program. And with our exclusive Prospect Engagement Program, we deliver 24, 24 warm prospects to each advertiser each year. To learn more, contact Rose Chamora, 951-515-4661. That's 951-515-4661. All right, before the break, Martin, I said I was going to ask you to answer the second question, which is, from a timing perspective, I, you, you set a five-year horizon from when you start, but at what point should would you advise CEOs and business owners to consider ESOP as an exit strategy? Right. That is really dictated by what uh, an ESOP can do for you. And to really boil it down, there are really two things that that an ESOP offers. Uh, One is, uh, as we've talked about, a very attractive way to liquidate the theoretical monetary value your stock has. The other is the way to really engage and motivate your employees. So if you put those two together, uh, it can be very appealing for an owner who's maybe not ready to retire next week, but might reach a point where he said, this probably make me a good idea to get my people that much more motivated, that much more engaged. I'm at a point where maybe I've worked really, really hard on this thing now, and I'm being told my business is finally worth something. Uh, maybe it's time to treat my family to a little something. Let's take a little money off the table and at the same time establish this employee stock program. So where I might take a quarter or a third of the company or something, pull that off the table, uh, get this program going, and uh, now I really uh, it's important to really explain it to the employees, and so they really they really get it. And once they do that, the employees take off and they run, and your company's growing faster and be more productive than ever. So I have owners I've talked to a number of times. I've heard that story where I help an owner um, to set one of these things up. We talk to the valuation appraiser, says your company's worth $10 million. He says, okay, I'll, I'll sell a third of it. Mm-hmm. A few years later, 
Uh, he comes back and says, I think I'd like to sell some more. Let's see what the appraiser says now. So we asked the appraiser, so what's my, uh, my the company used to be worth $10 million. Now I've got two-thirds. What's my two-thirds worth? And the appraiser says, oh, about $10 million. <laughs> <laughs> Wait a minute. I had $10 million when I had the whole thing. Yeah, but it's grown so successfully. Just two-thirds of it is worth $10 million now. Uh, so that's the kind of experience you want to be looking for is to be able to build the uh, performance of your company. Yeah, so At the same time, you get more performance and you don't have to work so hard as the owner. It sounds like a growth strategy so, then. Exactly. So it's both a growth strategy and it can transition from early on. It's more growth, less uh, liquidation. And then over time, you can transition to more liquidation and, and becomes your way to phase out. Wow. That's exciting. Keith, in your direct experience in working with companies who are who are going through an ESOP, you're funding them and helping them get through it, is, is this your experience, too, that the, the culture change gives it a growth opportunity for a company? At just about every, every, opportun- every opportunity that I've worked with, it, it's turned out that way. And uh, um, the only time that I found it didn't, it didn't turn out that way is if it were a um, fad-type business. Okay. It... it, it, it it doesn't carry that cash flow like I keep going back to. Right. Because, as I say to the bank, that's the most important important thing to make sure that it's successful for us and the selling shareholder. Right. But how exciting is that, then? Because you're, you're working with a company that the, that the succession plan leads to short-term and then long-term growth. Oh, for sure. No, that, 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 it, it's a perfect avenue for the bank to uh, go down with these companies. Uh-huh. And, you know, a lot of these companies that I have, that I work with, are very very seasoned companies, so it's so um, rewarding to help them achieve this. It, it, it really helps uh, helps your uh, I don't know your 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 inside feelings right. of uh, your accomplishments. Right, it sort of Martin. It sort of takes a company and makes it new again at some level. Is what I'm hearing from you two guys. Yeah, it brings a new level of excitement. It's it's just a, I hear it so often from owners who've done this. They enjoy being in their company so much more. You know, in the past, they went a new piece of business, and they place, oh, that's cool. Now, <laughs> yeah. now they went a big new contract. The people are literally, they're high-fiving in the hallways. Awesome, man, we just pushed our revenue by 10% in that one contract, and they get it, and they appreciate it. And it's, the owner has somebody to celebrate with. Uh, if they lose the contract, then I don't know how it helps the business necessarily, but the owner feels better knowing that there's other people tossing and turning at night and losing sleep over this problem. Right. So the fact that people are actually sharing, they're thinking like the business owner, and you've got partners who... Uh, you know, really got your back. Right. And and I would think, as you're talking, that we said in the, in the last segment, you just don't flip a switch. I don't know that the average employee comes in the next day, even if they have 30% of the company, and really understands what that means to them. So, Martin, can you share a little bit with sort of a your best practice of uh, when is it and how do you kind of help them to become more aware of what's happening. Absolutely. That's a critical piece of this. There's so much potential in in, uh, the employees sharing the ownership to to motivate them, but it's not magic pixie dust. You don't talk to Martin Stobbitz and talk to some lawyer and get the banker to finance it, and presto, it just automatically happens by itself. As you're sort of implying, you know, the average... You know, an American citizen doesn't really get a business education, and, and they don't teach it in high school, right. in college, unless you take a business class, you don't get it. So your employees, uh, even highly educated employees, really don't understand how business works. Uh, but if you put a little effort into the return, and I've seen owners who, uh, in the early days, without much of experience and somewhat naively, work with the consultant, the lawyer, set it up, and they sit back and wait for some great transformation, and they're disappointed. But those who put in the effort to uh, educate their employees, explain how this works, um, so they get to the point they kind of understand how that they get such a payoff on that uh, when they make that effort. I, I would think that one of the things you have to address is the perception 
by the employees of I've just taken on some risk, right? Because I think yeah. traditionally, I think, well, if you're a business owner, you get the rewards, but you also take the risk. There's yeah. a liability right. here for yeah. it. And how do, how do you address, how would you suggest they address that? And is that, in fact, true? Uh, there's a very low risk for employees because they're not paying for it out of their pockets. So they're not directly paying for it. They may uh, have some offsetting uh, cuts in some other employee benefits to help support this. So they, they, they give something uh, for this. And I think it's just about the right thing. You know, if, if they have to pay too much, they might be ter- terrified right. uh, and paralyzed. If they get nothing at all, they got no skin in the game. It's like, oh, well, it didn't work out. This way... Uh, they put something into it. Uh, they see it's a tremendous de- de- uh, deal. They're clearly getting a cr- tremendous deal. They're making minor cutbacks and some other benefits and so 401k matching funds, those kinds of things they might be having cutbacks in, in exchange getting a significant piece of the company. So they're going to be jazzed. They're going to be excited. And they're going to see the upside. And, and they're handed a, an annual statement that says, this is what you got. So every employee says, maybe I'm an average employee. I got, what, $32,000 worth of stock? We screw it up. I'm going to lose that. We do things right. I'm going to double it. Right. So uh, it starts to work really well when employees are looking at it that way. Is that what you're finding too, Keith? As community banks see that the importance of getting the employees to share in the idea of the ownership. Well, I'm proud to say that we've uh, been successful on every one that we put together. Okay. So I think uh, that that is showing that um, they they jump in there and and give it their all and and make sure that uh, they're going to continue to be an owner in the company. One of the areas that I think is particularly important is to begin to teach your employees financial literacy as it relates to owning a business. And, and I would think that the bank could be a helpful player in that because many employees aren't comfortable reading an income statement or a balance sheet or a statement of cash flows. And I would think that that, that might be something that uh, that the bank could help your clients with if they want you to. You know, that's a great idea, Rick. I've never thought about that angle. Um, we usually just get involved with the, the, the management of the financing, of structuring, uh-huh. and, and and making sure that it all comes together so, okay. so it's a successful sale. But that's a great idea. Yeah, because I... I um, knowing how a company makes money, what's the process that we go through, That you know, where does the magic happen, is really important for employees because then they begin to realize what doesn't make you money, which can be waste. And they can see waste much better in a company than the executives can, right? Absolutely. They're involved in every corner of the business, and there's no way the owner can be supervising every last detail uh, way all the employees can. Uh, and you're absolutely right. They have to be able to understand those basics of an income statement. The average employee doesn't have that exposure. There's really two steps to really uh, achieving the potential of this. And one is, first, you, you motivate them by showing how they have ownership. And they go, oh, great, I have ownership. Now I want to see the stock price go up. But that alone doesn't get you very far if they don't know what they can do. Right. They're like a, a bystander in the, in the stands watching a game. I'm hoping the team wins. But you want them to be a player in the game. So you have to sh- teach them how the game works. And the, and the basic magic is in the income statement. Right. So I've done that. I've walked through, taken employees, walk them through, and I show them all the money we get only comes from one source. What's that? I ask them. And they finally figure out, oh, customers. That's where all our money comes from. I say, where does it go? And I walk them through all the things we spend it on, on the leases and the equipment. And I show them, by the way, what's the biggest single thing it goes to? And they go, oh, payroll. Shoot, that's 60% of our money goes back out the door in our paychecks. Right. And take them all through that. I finally get to subtract all that. In the very last line, on the bottom line, here's what's left over. And I once had an employee go, Oh, the bottom line. That's where that expression comes from. <laughs> yes. I hear people bell. say the bottom line this, the bottom line that. I never knew where it came from. It's, that's what they never seen an income statement. Right. So you, they begin to think that way, and it becomes pretty simple. It's just some arithmetic, and they get into it. Oh, I got some ideas of where we can cut down these expenses here. I know where there's a, a cheaper source vendor I can find, and, 
and they start doing that stuff and they start bringing their ideas to the table and it really takes off. Right, because I mean, probably an extreme, not in a negative way, but a fully embraced version of that is open book management by Jack Stack and the work that Jack did with his companies and still does with the firms to really educate financial literacy and operational literacy with their employees. That's a tremendous, uh, really robust program of, of employee education so that employees become really sophisticated business people, in effect. And that, that company that's based on has grown something like 89,000% since it started in the right. 80s. And it was going to go out of business. It was, I mean, they were going to close that shop up because it wasn't making money, yeah. and the corporation didn't want to have it anymore. And, and he kept it going because he felt an obligation, if I remember correctly, to the employees. Exactly. Not for his own personal wealth, as much as he just hated to see, because he was responsible for the plant, and he didn't want to close on his watch. Yeah, organized an employee buyout in 1986, and the rest is history. It's an amazing story. But we're not talking about a management collective, right, when we talk about an ESOP. There's nothing about an ESOP that changes what they call the corporate governance. There's still a board of directors. Uh, there's the pro- board of directors still appoints a CEO. There's still management. Nothing about an ESOP change. All that matters, all that's different is the, the shareholder. There may be a new shareholder on the scene. But we, you don't have the employees voting if we need a new forklift no, or, or no. that kind of things, right? I mean, they may Nothing. voice an opinion about how to save money. And, but we, yeah, we want to involve the employees informally in these things. We want them to follow the action, come up with ideas, but they don't have some formal you know, management authority. Right. We just want to engage them and, and have them contribute their ideas and their right. input. Okay. Well, we're talking with Keith Mulchan, who's the first vice president of Community Bank, and Martin Stavos, who's executive director with Beister Institute. We're going to take our third and final commercial break here on Critical Mass Radio Show. Uh, when we come back, we're going to spend time on the third part of the question, which is how. I mean, what steps do does a business owner take and must they take to convert the firm into an ESOP? And so we'll be right back talking about the major milestones with Keith and Martin after these words from our commercial sponsors. Let's face it, not all company challenges are the same, which is why strategic market intelligence can help identify the actionable information you need to be more competitive. Gain a better understanding of your brand, competition, best prospects, or new product opportunities to generate greater revenues in 2015. Call 949-357-9547 or visit www.strategicmarketintelligence.com. Richard Franzi is the author of two popular business books for CEOs. His first book, Critical Mass, The Ten Explosive Powers of CEO Peer Groups, was the first book ever written on the secret value of CEO peer groups. His second book, now with newly updated information, is Critical Mass, The Power of CEO Guiding Principles. Richard's books contain powerful information to help CEOs running middle market companies gain valuable insight to improve their decision-making skills. Richard's books are available as paperbacks or Kindle versions from Amazon.com. To find them, type Richard Franzi in the search box. Today's businesses are embracing voice over IP telephones and unified communication desktop technologies to more effectively communicate and collaborate with their customers, suppliers, and colleagues. The Reliatel management software from Tone Software Corporation helps organizations of all sizes manage their communications technologies to ensure great voice quality and better levels of service and reliability throughout their business. Through Reliatel, you'll gain higher return on investments from VoIP and unified communications technologies while lowering the associated operational support and maintenance costs. Learn more. Visit www.tonesoft.com or call 800-833-8663 for information. 
information on Reliatel by Tone Software, the solution for quality business communications. Time is just flying by today here on Critical Mass Coast to Coast Radio, or Critical Mass Radio Show. Sorry, I'm Rick Franzi. I am your host, and I would like to thank and acknowledge our listeners who download our show as a podcast. You've listened to over 17,000 episodes during the last 30 days, and we here at the program appreciate your continued and growing support. Of course, all of our shows can be heard anytime on Apple iTunes, Stitcher.com, Spreaker.com, hundreds of former guests, websites, and other business-oriented podcasting services. If you want to become a regular subscriber to our show and a podcast, go into your favorite podcasting software, type these four words, Critical Mass Radio Show, and up will come our icon. You can subscribe to it, and you'll get our weekly updates of our shows. All right, Martin Stabas, who is the executive director for Beister Institute, Keith Mulchan, who's first vice president of Community Bank. We're in our third and final sector of, uh, of the radio show, and this is our this is our house segment. So let's start with you, Martin. I mean, what are the steps that a business owner, how complicated is it to go from not being an ESOP to having an ESOP company? Well, I'll tell you, uh, relatively, relative to the alternatives, it's actually pretty simple. Uh, I mean, a business owner has never sold a company. It's kind of hoping, maybe believing that at some point somebody will come up to and offer, them, offer to write him a big check, hand him a check, and say, here's your money, I'll take the company. That doesn't actually happen. That's not one of the choices. There is no simple, easy, inexpensive way to sell a company unless you want to give it away for nothing. So given the relative choices of, of how you do it, it's actually uh, inexpensive and relatively simple process. Uh, one of the best things about it that makes it so so relatively simple and easy is that there's no actual adversarial party across the table from you. Like any other buying situation where the buyer shows up with an army of attorneys and investment bankers at his back, and he, he used to be talking to you nice when they having general discussions, and now it's getting serious, and all of a sudden he's putting all kinds of fine print in terms of conditions with an ESOP. There's nobody across the table. As an owner, you just decide to make this happen. You set it up. There's certain rules you have to comply with, and beyond that, you decide when you want to do it, how much you want to sell. Uh, uh, the rules provide, as a requirement, you hire a professional business appraiser who will come in, study the company, and tell you what's it really worth on the market, and that sets the price. Uh, and you're and that's a very important moment, though, right? Because yeah. people are ma- wanting to make sure that that is a fair transaction. Exactly. And the price is no different from the ESOP than anything else. When we have the appraiser come in, we're asking this appraiser essentially one question. And that is, if this company were put up for sale in the general investor market and notified the whole world as companies for sale, what do you think we could get for it? And the appraiser goes out and does his homework and his studies and this analyzes the market and the company and then ultimately comes back as an expert and says, I predict it, this is what you get for it. Okay, that's what the ESOP will pay. Okay, so that fair market value might be different than what a strategic investor would pay for it, though, right? Right. There so, are cases, they're not common, otherwise it would be market value, but there are exceptions where there's a particular buyer who sees special value in your company, special to that one buyer. You've got a product line that'll perfectly complement his, where he's got a hole in it, or a geographic area that he's going to fill, where he's willing to pay more than the company would normally be worth. Uh, so that's possible, uh, but first of all, they aren't common. Secondly, they usually aren't the premium you get for that. Usually, is not as high as fifty percent. And we talked at the top of the show right. about the tax advantage that equates to a fifty percent premium. So you're unlikely. It's, I'm not going to say it's impossible, but it's be very rare to get a higher price on the after-tax basis once you factor in the ESOP. Okay. So in terms of a process uh, for getting that, it, it's such a uh, nice process because you don't have that adversarial buyer. You, the pricing is no longer, you don't have to fight and negotiate. It's just settled, um, and you decide where and when and 
and, and how much to do this. And if you, uh, so that's a great thing. In terms of the process of making it happen, we take people usually through a series of four phases of the process. Okay. Um, and we're always happy to sit down and talk with any owner, um, a conversation like this, to explain and discuss it. If they really want to get a systematic, serious look at what an ESOP might look like, we'll do what's known in the trade, so to speak, as a feasibility study. That's basically to collect all your financial data. We can get a good understanding of your company, your personnel data, and we can put together a picture and we'll have a lot of dialogue and figure out what's probably the best path, at least on a preliminary basis, what makes sense, what do you want to do? Should we sell 25%, sell 50%, sell the whole thing? We can then do an analysis and present a picture uh, through financial analysis, a picture of how this would play out. What would the effects be? How would it impact the company's profits? How would it impact your cash flow? What kind of financing would it take? How would it impact the employees? Basically, it's designed to put all the information on the table that an owner is going to need to make a final go or no go decision. Because, because, sorry to interrupt you, but yeah. but but that's where because one of the things is when you take on that debt, if that's how you're choosing to buy out the owner for the first tranche, the company now has that debt on their books, so they're not the same company they were before. So I would think their valuation it reflects that a little bit, right? Because they're perceived to be a little more risky because they have this outstanding obligation they didn't have before the transaction. Exactly. The, the company effectively takes on debt uh, in, in doing this ESOP, and that's going to impact the value. But that, but that doesn't uh, impact the company until after the sale. So okay. it doesn't reduce the owner's price. The owner sells at the pre-debt price. Okay. Then there's a debt which is paid off in a few, few years, and then the value springs back higher than ever. Presumably, but then the second year, because every year you have to revalue the firm, right? That's part. So of So you have an annual update to the valuation, and that way everybody knows how well we're we doing. Okay. So, okay. so the, the the independent appraiser may look at that and go, "Well, now you're a couple, pen- you're a little bit less valuable because you're carrying all this debt." Correct. Right. You got to so work see, it off. You'll see what the appraiser is called a post-transaction drop right. in the value. Uh, because of the debt, and then as the debt shrinks, it's paid, and that that post transaction debt, uh, that post transaction value climbs back up. And and you, community bank, Keith, you're comfortable with that because you know, based on your experience, that that might happen, or that's correctly going to happen, Correct. right? Yeah, that's we're going to get involved just about at the end of what Martin's talking about. When okay. when all of his analysis is done and evaluation is in, and that's when the bank would start getting involved with it. Okay. Right. So who ultimately picks the price? Because if I understand it right, the valuation is a range, isn't it? The, the independent guy comes in and go, well, you can get a range? Or do they give you the exact dollar? They will They will give you a, an exact dollar. They'll usually they start with a range and ultimately okay. work toward an exact a dollar. Okay. It, it, there's some flexibility there. It depends on how you want to approach it. Having an ESOP, it, going back to the very first comments that technically it's a qualified retirement plan, all qualified retirement plans operate as trusts, so people often don't even pay attention to it. But a 401k plan, all the 401k assets, all those investments are in a trust. An ESOP operates as a trust. Where there's a trust, there's a trustee. So one of your things you'll be doing as an owner is decide who do you want to have as the trustee. And you can have an internal person do it. It's in your company. You can hire an outside professional. They're the ones who are going to ultimately sign a stock sale contract. Lawyer drop a stock sale contract. You as owner sell sign as the seller. Who signs as the buyer? Well, this trustee signs on behalf of the ESOP. That trustee ha- has the obligation to f- confirm that the price does not exceed fair market value. Okay. How does he do that? This appraiser essentially is an advisor to the to the trustee, telling him that price. I'll I'll stand behind that price is not exceeding fair market value, or I won't stand behind it. Okay. And uh, in your experience, internal external trustee. You can do it 
either way. Uh, that may be a some... subject for a different show. Yeah. But uh, what what have you seen? Is there is there a predominance either way? It's roughly half and half. It depends is. on size. The larger the company, the more of it's, it's the more money involved. If you're going to ask to be a trustee of a fifty million dollar ESOP, makes an average individual a little nervous. Maybe let's pay an outsider. If it's a five million dollar ESOP, well. I can, I can handle that. So it tends to, okay. on average, it's, I say it's around 50-50, but it skews, skews one, one way or the companies. other depending on this. It, From a bank's perspective, bank, does it matter? Bank, we like outside. You do? Yes. Why? We like outside just because it's it's uh, removed from the company. Okay. It's removed from the company. It's not somebody within that that's working it. Okay. So, so that we heard from the bank's perspective. Right. And anything else in the how, Martin, that we haven't uh, talked about? In terms about? of the how, well, in terms of the cast of players, you ultimately need to to, make, to pull this off. Once you make that final decision, let's go for it. And then we would assemble a team of people. So you're going to first decide on a trustee who that's going to be. That allows you to uh, hire the, uh, uh, the appraiser to get that last piece in place of knowing for sure what you're likely to get for this thing. Uh, you need to, uh, an attorney with specialized skills to do that. So those are really sort of the three players, the trustee and the appraiser and the attorney. Great. Uh, finally, at the end, of ma- operate on an ongoing basis. You have what they call a third-party administrator, just like 401k plans or whatever, have these third-party administrators that do all the record-keeping and federal form filing all the administration for you. So that's the cast of characters. You know, We would help put that team together and ultimately work toward Closing day where stock and money change hands. Wow. Every little party. Well, my engineer is telling me we have just a minute left. So I um, I think we've covered a lot of ground here in an hour, and I need to thank both of you. If some someone, I'll start with you, Keith. If someone would like to learn about Community Bank and their ESOP program, maybe in particular, how do they find you? How do they find the bank online? K-Molchan, M-O-L-K-M-O-L-C-H-A-N, at C-Bank, like catbank.com. Um, or our website is www.cbank.com. And you have a white paper. Is that is that? It's not on the on the. I can, I can get you the could white paper. S- could you send it to them if they sure. wanted to read your white paper? I sure could. Okay, I would recommend that. That's good preliminary reading. And I know the Beister Institute, having attended one of your in-person courses, and I know tomorrow I'll be on your online for for your online coursework. You do a lot of work to educate people about ESOPs in person or online. How do people learn more about what the Beister Institute's about, Martin? Probably the best place to uh, start is just go to our website, which is, uh, I could explain it again, we're part of the uh, University of California, San Diego, that's UCSD, part of their Rady Business School, Rady is R-A-D-Y, so we're simply at rady.ucsd.edu slash Beister, that's B-E-Y-S-T-E-R. Which is a gentleman who led a company, SAIC, and he gave, he guess he gave an endowment or something to UC uh, he, for this. Yeah, he started the group. Uh, he didn't name it for himself. He was a very modest oh, guy. Did. We changed the name later. I okay. always give that disclaimer. That, uh, But, uh, yes, he started a company in 1969, started from scratch, and 30 years later was a Fortune 500 size company called SAIC. In San Diego. Started in San Diego, grew worldwide, and uh, $8 billion in revenue, and it was all based on the fact that the employees there all shared in the ownership, so it was the ultimate growth strategy. And he's the one who got our group going. So, that's so this Meister name is this ownership does scale. It scales. The largest ESOP company I know of is a uh, is a large supermarket chain based out of uh, Florida called Public Supermarkets. Oh sure. Highest rated. Every customer survey says cleanest stores, friendliest employees. One hundred sixty five thousand employees. Wow. ESOP company. Oh okay. So well, we're going to have you guys back. 
Would you come back? Great. All right. Happy to. And ladies and gentlemen, if you're listening to us live on octalkradio.net, tell your friends that if they would like to learn more about ESOPs, this show will be available tomorrow on iTunes and off my website and a variety of other places. I'm sure we're going to be giving the link to these gentlemen. Hopefully, they'll be making it available to their business community, too. But this is just the first in a series of roundtables on ESOPs that I'm planning to host throughout the year and the coming years. So I want to thank you both for giving of your time to be here in the studio today. My pleasure. Yep, thank my you, pleasure. Rick. Truly enjoyed it. And I want to thank you and our listening audience for spending the time. Don't forget to tell some friends if you if you want to. Uh, we're all about to help you improve your decision-making skills, and I think in this area we've, we've hit the mark today because of my guest. This show is brought to you by our advertisers, Center Club, Community Bank, Decision Toolbox, Executives Unlimited, MBN Design, SNH Rubber, Strategic Market Intelligence, SunUp Group, TN Company, Tone Software, Turn Up the Volume, and UPS protection. Our engineer for today was Paul Roberts. Our producer is Crystal Nunley, and I'm your host, Rick Franzi, hoping that all of your business decisions will move your company in a positive direction. You have been listening to Critical Mass Radio Show Business Talk Show, focused on exploring topics of interest to CEOs who are leading middle market companies. With your host, Richard Franzi. 